0: Shelter in the rain A mighty tower where every heart is safe Even when the hard winds blow To this refuge we will go Our God is stronger for we belong to Him. Even when the hard winds blow, to this refuge we will go. Our God is stronger. No matter what may come our way, He's never worried or afraid. Our God is stronger. this refuge we will go. Our God is stronger. No matter what may come our way, He's never worried or afraid. Our God is stronger. And even when the hard winds blow, to this refuge we will go. Our God is stronger what may come my way, he's never worried or afraid. My God is stronger. Our God is stronger. Well, good morning, Carpenter's Way. If you're in the room, if you want to stand and worship with us, you're more than welcome. You do not have to, but you're more than welcome if you want. If you're checking us out online. Uh, wherever you may be, uh, don't be a spectator this morning. Jump in with us. Alone my sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope, no place to be there. Your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested, my life began. My ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given a name. My mourning grew quiet and my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new, now life begins with you. It's your end. I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom he faithfully proved. He canceled my debt and he called me his friend. pouring down on us you have made us new now life begins with you our savior displayed on a criminal's cross darkness rejoices no oh, heaven arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. My life begins From heaven's throne You came to us And set your heart Upon the cross We'll never know The sacrifice you've made For all our sin And all our shame You took the nails You took our place No one else Could do what you have done One name is higher One name is stronger Than any Grave where death would die you rose again and brought us life you're reigning now the savior of the world oh you're reigning now the savior of Sing your praise, we'll sing your praise.
1: Now's the time of the service where I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to read scripture together. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do. Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most.
0: By grace alone somehow I stand Where even angels fear to tread by redeeming love Before the throne of God above He pulls me close With nail-scarred hands Into His everlasting arms Grips my heart And Satan tempts me to despair I hear the voices scatter his fear The great I am, the Lord is here Oh, praise the one Who fights for me And shields my soul eternally This world has grown I'm face to face with love himself His perfect spotless righteousness Oh, a thousand years, a thousand times not enough to sing His praise sings my soul my savior god to thee oh how great
2: we undervalue, you can maybe see it, uh, I think we undervalue just how powerful it is to listen to each other sing praises to God. Man, you sounded beautiful this morning. Uh, you ready, Jerry? So we're going to, you never cease to amaze. You just jumped on the stage. This is, this is a classy joint. I've got a tie on today. got? Yeah, wait, let me make sure this is on. Oh, it's not on. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Do what? Oh, yeah, yeah, you got course, to do that. Of, of right, course. Of course. So of course. Jared, our pastor of missions, one of two, is, uh, has an announcement.
1: Will you help me welcome Jared? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that makes it so much easier. Thank you all. Thank you all. Uh, many of you wouldn't have recognized me. Um, yesterday, I shaved a glorious mustache on my face, and it lasted less than 24 hours. I was going to look very uh, eloquent like Robert Grimes over there, but I was met with fierce resistance. So, welcome. Thanks for coming to Carpenter's Way. Uh, we're glad you came. I know it's been a, a crazy uh, month starting school and so forth. So, I'm glad we can gather. I love this day. I love this time. Chad, where's Chad at? Uh, Chad, Chad's usually right there. He's saying that song, Death Was Arrested, and the gospel is so good. And um, yeah. we come here to gather and get equipped, be encouraged, and take that gospel into the world by our actions, our lives, and our intentional efforts. And so, I wanted to give a couple of updates and announcements in regard to missions. Uh, It's a little bit of the same of what Robert said last week. First, there are some mission trips, as you notice in the announcement guide for Amazon and Guatemala. Those dates are set. Uh, Please start praying about it. That's next summer in July. But what we're doing in. One week from today, October the 2nd, right after service over in the library, we're going to meet and have a general missions interest meeting. Uh, This is just for, actually it's for everyone. It's for veterans, it's for newbies, it's for anybody with the slightest interest in what missions might be, how we work with it, and so forth. And we want you to come and and, uh, listen to kind of, listen to what we have to say about it, because we're trying to to create a, a unified vision towards missions. Mark preaches and teaches us so much about how to live life day-to-day and that that is mission and at the same time we often hear the answer well I might not be called to missions but we would we would beg to challenge that and say that we are all called to mission it is the ability to get the gospel to people and I think we often paint it as oh it's the Amazon trip or the Guatemala trip and it's more than that so we're going to talk about a few things there's going to be what is missions the why why is missions important the what and why uh, it's going to be where we start. The why is fundamental. If we search for the why in a lot of what we do, we find deep answers: why we resist something, why we want to do something. So we're going to talk that uh, talk about that from a thirty-thousand-foot view, and then we're going to talk about our role and responsibility as Carpenters' Way, as the church. How do we uh, how do we approach missions? And we just want to talk about uh, those two things first, and then we want to get into some more specific stuff with you. We want to talk about roadblocks, and we did that thing a few weeks ago where we we, we got some feedback on what's preventing you from maybe participating in a foreign trip. And we just want to talk about two or three of those for a moment. And then we want to give some very specific ways we can serve in the national, the local, the international areas, and and, and specific things for our local ministries and so forth. So we're not going to paint it as just a picture for the Amazon and Guatemala trips, those kind of things. We want to paint it uh, and, and bring it bring it all home. And then last, we want to open that to some questions, uh, if you have any. So please uh, please put that on your schedule, and we would love to have you. Thank you.
2: I'm right here. Thank you. If you're visiting, I don't wear a tie very much. I wore one today. One people are wondering if they're dying. <laughs> you're all okay. Let me uh, take a second and, and bounce off of, of what he's saying. What, we, what church is supposed to be is where we come together, encourage each other, and disciple each other. You know, we have... Some of our Russian missionaries were here this last week and talk about what they're doing in Russia, and we talk about, we, we, we always talk about missions. We're very missions-focused here a lot. We send, we send a lot of resources across the globe and in our community, but what we do is we disciple. That's what we do. We grow up and disciple. That was the ancient name for people who followed a rabbi, and Jesus is your rabbi, and our goal is to push you towards him, push your children towards him. To follow him, not the church, not the SBC, not this church, not this leader, but Jesus Christ. And part of that is what is our task? Why didn't God take us to heaven? And missions answers that in a lot of ways. And so um, while we have Sunday morning preaching, and while we have, is this 11 o'clock next Sunday morning? Is that the time? So while we have Bible studies during 11, uh, and we're actually moving our young families, it used to be young marriages to from Sunday night, tonight's our last Sunday night one, we're moving it Sunday morning at 11. We, there are going to be times when you may step out of that group for one week. Is it a one-week thing, this one? It's one week? So it's one week in the library, and if we have too many people, we'll move it into the worship center. Or uh, as you, may, you heard recently, Clay was offering a biblical view of manhood, six-week study, and it's not, you're not joining for life. It's just jumping out, doing this, going back, and there may be times periodically where you'll need to do that. And if you are, let me reiterate, if you're interested in missions at all, from a 30,000 feet level to why, you know, I don't really think I'll ever go on a short-term mission trip, but what's that like? How much does it cost? How do I raise? That's what this is for. So next week, if you are interested in missions at all, go to the library during the 11 o'clock hour. If you need to write your Bible study leader, let them know. If you're a Bible study leader, and you want to go? Then bring your class, bring your flock, or find somebody else to teach for you. But we are not. Eleven o'clock is not a sacred Bible study hour. It's an hour, another hour, where we come together and we we disciple each other, and that, that's what this is. And uh, we have a, two mission pastors and a whole mission team, and our goal is to engage every person that God has called together in missions at some level. And m- many of you are. Many of you guys are involved here at the local level. But here's a great informative time on what we're doing and why we're doing it. And if you have any questions, this, this is the avenue for that. I have a couple other things. Some stuff, some ministries that we have are behind the scenes so discipleship can take place. But I assure you, every ministry we have somehow points towards growing people closer to Jesus Christ. And I want to talk about one we don't talk about very much, and that's security. Uh, as you know, we do not live in safe times, right? And I wish I could tell you that it was safe in the church. It's not safe in the church. And so we have security, all of our children's workers up through high school. Adam, where are you? He was playing the drums. Did, did he and Chad both go to a different church this morning? I, but they, they don't, uh, where's, does, at least it's not in here either. My whole staff is at other churches this morning. So is Jeff back there? Hey, Jeff, do, do, they, do we do background checks all the way through high school? Yes. Ministry. So all of, our, all of our ministry leaders, I actually think most of you have done background checks because you serve in one place or another. But we do background checks, federal background checks on all of our workers. I know some people that freaks out. That's just smart. Uh, But another thing we do is we have accountability. Nobody's alone with the kids, but also we have security that watch the cameras all over the place every Sunday. And you're not aware of this, but there's quite a few times every year, not like every other week, but there's quite a few times where we have people who come into the church that need an extra watch and we find out that they need to be watched. That's our security team. Our security team are not people who are to wrestle down bad people. Uh, Your weapon is we have policemen here that do do their thing. Uh, Having said that, we need men or women. It seems to me this is a great ministry for men who are willing to serve on Sunday mornings or on Wednesday nights watching over the church while we're discipling. And uh, it is time, this last year, we had a bunch of people sign up, and it kind of dwindled down, as a lot of ministries do. So we're needing about 14 men or men and women to serve in this capacity. And if that is interesting to you at all, um, after the service, if you would just come up here, you'll get information. Um, This is led by Jack, who did not want me to mention his name, so I'm not going to say his last name is Stevenson. (laughs) But uh, smile, Jack, because you're scaring me. Thank you. Gosh, he could, he's let me know through the years as we've gotten close that he could kill me without even moving. So I'm just a little afraid of him. But Jack, Jack has a team of leaders that watch over this church and watch over us so you don't have to watch over yourself. Um, my biggest fear when it comes to security at the church is that 90% of you are carrying weapons right now and that the bad guy coming down the aisle doesn't get hit, but I get hit. So please, if you carry, practice. Practice. Okay. All that to be said. Uh, we, if, you, if you're not involved in a ministry and you're not a teacher or a singer or, or uh, able to, how often, Jack, do they serve? Once a month. And we do need people. And we need you to be faithful to that. And if you can't, but, but this is, you, you guys know how important this is. Not just for bad people from the outside, but also to watch each other. That's, that's just smart, right? So uh, that's one of the reasons we've never had an incident. And thank God for that. Knock on I don't have anything wood up here. Please knock on wood when you get home on your spouse's forehead. Not your own, Julie. Julie just knocked on her own head. That is not wood. It's Cecil's head that's wood on my head. I'm wearing a tie, Julie. All right. Let me make sure I have I've mentioned. Uh, oh, there's a new members class coming up in October. I wanted to tell you about that. Oh, there's voter registration in the, in the entryway. You'll notice we don't have an American flag up here. We're not telling you how to vote. We're just telling you you need to be involved in the process. That's one of the great things of our country. So be involved in voting. If you need to change address, if you need Sharon Kennedy, uh, she can only do it a couple more times before voting registration is off. So this morning is one of those times after service, after you sign up to be on the security team, uh, you can go out there and sign up for that. And uh, uh, is Adam back in this room yet, or did he really leave? Jeff, fire him. Um, The student ministry is putting on a thing called FamilyCon. Uh, that's youth ministry name for, it's a family conference, parents and kids, from 6th grade through 12th. And that's going to be coming up in a few weeks. There is a table in the entryway. Uh, it's, it's on a Sunday. It's all going to be done on a Sunday morning. So, so those of us who are not participating in the whole thing will be hearing uh, coming to one of the sessions. The, uh, but uh, if you need information on that or want to sign up, there's a table in the entryway. Uh, for that. I know there's a, a lot going on, but pay attention to what is relevant to you. So I think, I think that does it all. Uh, informed online. Oh, if you're, not, if you're not getting our emails, if you're not getting our texts, when, you, when this service ends, would you go to the CW table and my dad and my Karen will be there and we'll get your information because that's how we dissimilate all this stuff that I mentioned because you're going to forget it in a few minutes when you get to uh, Taco Bell. Uh, that's it. That's all the... Okay. You ready? Okay, how do I? I want to set this up. This text, all texts are important. Every message is the best text I've ever preached, right? I say that every week. But there are some texts that are so important. They are so important, they will change how you look at the world. They will remove your anger. And we're all angry. I know some of you are thinking, I'm not angry. That's because you haven't watched the news lately. Um, We're all mad. We're all frustrated. We're all saying, I wish we could go back to Andy Griffith. We're all saying that. And part of it, I believe, with all my heart, is because we haven't let the Scripture sink in to why the world is the way the world is. And, and too many pastors, and, and this is the only little yellow flag I want to I wave, too many pastors take the text I'm going to teach, and they say that fire is going to come down from heaven which misses the whole text I'm teaching. God's wrath is already being poured out against mankind. And it tells us you see it everywhere, and it explains what it is. And all that to say is we're about to get into a super important text. And, as, and, and so I, I need you for the next uh, 40 minutes or so, <laughs> for the next hour and a half, I, I need you to really engage the Scripture. When we started our Roman study, I promised you I'm not going to teach Baptist doctrine on, the, on, on salvation. I'm not going to teach Catholic doctrine on salvation. I'm not going to speak against either of those things. I'm going to speak what the Scripture says about salvation, what Paul teaches. And you are encouraged to disagree with what I say. That's fine, but you've got to back it with Scripture. You've got to back it with Scripture. And so what we're doing is verse by verse through this text because I want you to know what God says about the condition of the world. With that being said, let's jump in to Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 15. You can turn your Bibles there. You can watch on the screen behind me. We're going to be working this morning out of the New Living Translation. Paul writes, I am eager to come to you in Rome too. Uh, not, I'm adding this, not just to be encouraged like we talked about last week. That was the text. But to preach the good news to you. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. Why am I not ashamed? Because it's the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. We're going to get farther into that sentence later in Romans, but my daughter asked me about that yesterday, and so I felt like I needed to address it. When it says first to the Jew, next to the Gentile, that's because Jesus came to the Jewish nation, as a Hebrew, grew up there. And even for the first half, like a year and a half to two years into the ministry of the disciples, he told them not to go into Gentile communities, but to stay within the Jewish com- communities. And then when they rejected it, Jesus then said, go to anybody who will listen. And that mirrored Jesus' parable, if you recall, of the, the, the wedding feast, where he tells them to go out and ask the hired guests, invite the hired guests to come in. And when they are too busy to come or not uninterested in this wedding, he then tells the servants to go out and invite the lowly, the, the outcast, the, uh, the rejected. And that's what this is talking about. The Jews got the gospel first through the law, through the promised Messiah, and then through Jesus himself. And then the doors were flung open. And having said that, even people in Nineveh in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant could be saved. But he's talking about where the message, the good news came. The Jew first and also then to the Gentile. This is good news that tells us, uh, tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. But God. You pause. Those two words, but God. A lot of us love, there's titles of service series, uh, message series. There are, there are uh, books written called But God. Uh, There are memes all over. I love it. They say, basically their theme is, I love when every verse in the Bible that says, but God, well, pay attention to this one. But God, who sent the good news through Jesus to the Jew first and then the Gentile, shows his anger. Oh, this is a but God we like to ignore. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Those are the people that anger God you got to pay attention to every word in here. God's not angry at everybody. He's angry at those who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 19, they know the truth about God because God has made it obvious to them. How, Paul? Well, ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities. For instance, his eternal power and his divine nature, So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. As they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like, as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And so what did God do? He abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. And as a result, they did vile, degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why. Here's what God did. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, they burned in lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God. Please note the problem here. The problem is not that the symptom, and I'm gonna, this is all this morning is about, The symptom is what they do. The problem is inside. The problem is this. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. So so there is a result. The problem, and here's, let me just yellow flag it again. One of the problems with the church today is we look at a, B, G, C, T, Q, whatever, (laughs) we we, we look at the gay culture, we look at the transgender culture, we look at this plus culture, whatever you want to call it, and we go, God hates that. Not really true. That's the result of what God hates. God hates that they reject him. He's angry that they reject him. Again, I'm I'm going to reiterate this because we're going to go through this verse by verse, and I want you to see it maybe for the first time. I know you know this text. But this text is not about homosexuality any more than it's about disobedience to parents. Listen, since they thought it foolish, verse 28, to acknowledge God, he abandoned them, turned them over to their foolish thinking, and let them do things they shouldn't do. That's called depravity, or given over to a dark mind, and it is the result of God's judgment, turning them over to foolish thinking. That's what he's talking about. Again, we'll get into that. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness and sin. For instance, greed, hate, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. Wow. So, warning, every time a pastor picks up Romans chapter 1 and starts at verse 18 is not about homosexuality. It's about rebelling against God. And while we talk about homosexuality in this, or same-sex relationships, the truth is it's as much about greed, hate, evil, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip, backstabbing, haters of God, insolent, Facebook, proud and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. Disney. Anyway, I mean, I, I really want you to understand, this is not about the gay movement. This is about rejecting God, and that's God turns them over, lets them do it, and that's what they do. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things even deserve to die. Yet they do them anyway, and worse yet, they encourage others to do them with them. So let's pray, because you need to hear from God and not me. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would hear from you this morning. And may the words of Mark fade away. I pray that you would constrain my mind and my my mouth because truly, Lord Jesus, whether somebody is watching today online and is in a gay relationship or whether they're rebellious to parents or whether they are insolent or hateful, the truth is, Lord Jesus, that these are the fruit of a life that is not surrendered to God. And Lord Jesus, above what I do and don't do, I need to address the issue with the Creator God. And so I ask you this morning to uh, let the words of my mouth be carefully chosen, and I pray that those with ears to hear will hear. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. From the human perspective, Paul had every reason to be ashamed of the gospel. Every reason. This is a guy who, who gave up much to follow God's call on his life. He was an incredibly rich, famous Uh, upward mobile Pharisee in the religious Jewish movement, and actually had been given letters from the highest levels of Jewish religion to go and persecute followers of God. This was a guy who never had to worry about what to make, what to buy, how to buy it. This was a guy with access to everything. And yet, from his family's great wealth to the ridicule, to being chased out of towns and sometimes smuggled out in the middle of the night, to the constant badgering by Paul haters within the church who used his persecution to say that God did not call him to be an apostle. Paul gave up everything humanly valuable to follow Yahweh, to follow Jesus. And because of that, you can make the case that he should be ashamed of himself. People probably said that. Paul, everybody's ridiculing you inside the church outside. I think he, we, we believe he wrote 15. It may be more than that of the New Testament letters but uh, with Hebrews, but he wrote 15. Of the 15, in 13, he starts the letters by defending his apostleship. He goes into why we can trust him. That is because people didn't trust Paul. The Paul we know of today, Paul was not the Paul back then. Every time he went into a church, somebody went, he, he crucified my brother. He had my sister arrested. He drugged my family in chains. Why should I listen to him? He may be saved, but he should not be leading. You can hear it. And yet, God called him to be apostle to the Gentiles. It wasn't just Paul, though, that should be ashamed of the gospel at this time, or could be, but it also were the people he was writing to. You see, Roman culture believed in a pantheistic view of God. In other words, it was philosophical and pantheistic. Each community had their own God, at least one, if not two or three. Each person believed in their favorite God. Everybody, you know, or philosophy. And the problem was, even Judaism had been eaten up in the Roman culture, much like India is today. You know, India doesn't mind if you're a follower of Jesus, as long as you don't teach what Jesus taught. Because it was Jesus who said this in John 14, 6. I am the way. The way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody can come to the Father except through me. That is an attack on every other philosophical or religious thought in all of the world, in all of time. Leave that up there for a moment. For those of you who have never studied the teachings of Jesus, Jesus was incredibly exclusive. Everybody was invited to join his family, but only those who came through Jesus could join. No matter what they want, no matter what they feel, no matter what you like or don't like, the only way to have a right relationship with God, according to Jesus Christ, is him. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. That is offensive to every other religion in the world, especially a polytheistic religion, a multi-God religion. Because when somebody comes in and says, I am the only way, you are rejecting their way. And it was so inbred in community. Those of us who have been studying culture on Sunday nights through a series of videos saw that Greek and Roman culture, and I mentioned this last week, Let's say we are a traveling salesman. We made tents. If you went into a town to sell your tents, Ephesus for instance, the first thing you had to do was get approval to sell your wares at the the trade market. Does that make sense? So you would go to City Hall, if they had such a thing, and you would get permission. How would you get permission? You would pay a tax to the God of Ephesus. You would give them alms, you would give them your wealth, and then they would give you permission. How did you know you were given permission? Because they would give you uh, either a hot coal from the altar of that God, or they would give you water from an altar of that God. They would give you something that you would then put into your store to say, we are part of this. Remember last week, and I want to thank you for all of the emails you sent me in text, I do know that that thing had one arm moving. For those of you here, you guys have any idea what I'm talking about, the little gold thing in Japanese have Chinese restaurants? Yeah, I'm aware that's a bear and Buddha's next to it. But that's, that's how you knew what they believed. They were part of that. And if you would not pay an alm and take the coal, or pay an alm or take the water, or take that little trinket that gave you permission to sell, after you have paid homage to the false god, you couldn't sell in that community. So you would go broke. So you would be having a difficult time. You would have to go somewhere else to trade your wares, probably outside of the city. It made life incredibly difficult, just like it's going to during the tribulation period. But, but I want you to understand that above all that, your family would be mad at you. Well, how are you going to take care of your children? How are you going to... It cost them everything to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm the way. You couldn't grave on a curve. You couldn't decide to do it another way. Jesus was exclusive while inviting everyone. And that was something that they could be ashamed of, easily in the flesh. Which is why Paul begins the theological meat of this letter with, I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. The Jew first and also the Gentiles. What is this good news that he's willing to be ridiculed and impoverished and lose everything over? This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. Wow, I can be made right with God. Even the religions of the world don't tell you that how you can be made right with God. They tell you that if you do this, you may be pleased, God, and he may overlook your foul, your, your, uh, your weaknesses. But this actually, this good news comes from God and it tells us how he makes us right with himself. Please note, and we'll get more theologically into this as, the, as our time goes in Romans, but it is God who makes you right with himself, not you. The only thing, well, it'll say it in a moment, this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. It's not by becoming moral. It's not by wearing a yarmulke. It's not by being circumcised or even baptized. You are made right with God through faith. As the scriptures say, he's talking about the Old Testament, even even the Old Testament talks about it is through faith that a righteous person has life. I'm reaching forward to our study later, but, I, but those of you who won't be with us, I don't want you to miss this. Salvation is through faith in Christ alone. It's not through faith in Christ plus Republican voting. It's not faith in Christ plus baptism, plus church attendance, plus moralism. It is through faith in Christ alone. That's how a person goes from death to life. It is a gift of God. And it even tells us in Ephesians why it's this way. Because God doesn't want you thinking you did it. It is not our job to save ourselves. It's not our job to save the world. It's our job to spread the good news. That's one of the things about missions that we often forget. My job is not to reach the world for Christ. My job is to tell the world that God wants to save them. If they reject that, that's between them and God. But my job is to be so overwhelmed by the good news that you can't keep me quiet about it. And this good news is about how God makes us right in his sight. And how does he do that? By faith. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. Well, you might wonder, why would they hate us or shame us for such a wonderful message, even if they choose to personally reject it? Well, 1 Corinthians 1 tells us that. The reason they hate us, the reason it could be seen as shameful, the reason it's difficult for us is the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But for we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scripture says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave philosophers, the scholars, Hollywood, Washington, D.C., the world's brilliant debaters? I know those words aren't in there. I added them for your pleasure. God has made the wisdom of this world to look foolish. Since God in his wisdom sought to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it's foolish to the Gentiles or Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and Hollywood says it's nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So I want to start by saying, steady on, family. Steady on. The darkness is not losing or winning, and we're not losing because God's in control. You see, this whole text, this whole book, isn't about you, it's about God. His mercy, His grace, His sovereignty, His power, His authority. That's what this is about. This whole life we live isn't about living a good life or YOLO or living my best life. It's about God and how I rela- react to His sovereignty. I just want to encourage you, your task in this life, whether it's in Brazil on a short-term mission trip, or it's tomorrow at the police station in which you serve, your job, your ultimate task is to present the good news when the opportunity arrives and live it when you're not talking about it. That's our job. It's not complicated. It's just shameful from the world's point of view. We're going to be called elitists. We're going to be called haters. We're going to be called whatever. But the truth is they called Jesus that as well. And that's why Paul begins by saying, I'm not ashamed of this good news that I'm about to write you about. I'm not ashamed at all. But stick with me, because I want to show you the condition of the world from God's perspective. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, here we go. But God, so the good news, Now he's, and why he's not ashamed of it, and then he turns, and for the next section of the Scripture, he's going to talk about the condition of the world and why we need salvation in the first place. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So this is going to stand the face in the face of a lot of really bad preaching today. We are trying to sell the gospel, and I do mean that word, by putting a happy face on Jesus. Let me be clear. Forget what I think. Let this be clear. Apparently, God is angry at wicked people. But not all. He's angry at wicked people who suppress the truth by choosing their fleshly, sinful, offensive desires and personal wants over God at all. God is not happy with us as we are. So I, I had a conversation with Julian Anna yesterday because I don't know how to explain this. So I, I, I need you to put your brains on it is true that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is true that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It is true that God loves you, but he is not satisfied with how he finds you. And in order to, separ- in order to sell the gospel today in our culture, in our world, we keep adding, it's like we're, act- it's like we're saying, God doesn't want to do anything in your life. I, uh, actually, that uh, Furtick said that. God doesn't want to change you. Ferdick needs to read the Bible, because the truth is, God came to save you, and then he left, having said, I've got to leave. The disciples are like, why are you leaving? I've got to leave, so that somebody greater can come and impact you, and he was talking about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, and he transforms us from top to bottom. This is not about God. It is about God loving you, but it's not about God liking you as you are. You're not good enough. You're not worthy enough. You're not the testimony he wants you to be. You still live by your flesh. God wants to transform us. And the lie of the church today is, you're fine. No, you're not. Otherwise, you wouldn't need to be redeemed or saved or forgiven. And once you're forgiven, we were taught, for the most part, that this is salvation from hell, which it is. But it is also salvation from self. And I think that we have written that off that's what this text is about. God is not happy with us as we are. No matter how many skinny jean, cool, school, uh, cool shoe pastors tell you that, he's not. God is offended by our sin, and he's even angry when we realize that we're accountable to God, and we just say, so what? I was born this way. I'm going to feed myself this way. Whether you are a follower of God or not, you can't be a follower of God if you reject his standards. You're not saved by accepting his standards. You're saved by agreeing with him that you're a sinner. And then, if you get saved because you realize you're a sinner and he's the only one who can save you and you go on sinning, what have you been saved from? You really didn't believe it. You see, getting saved or being adopted into the family of God is not a magical thing that happens if you say the exact words you're supposed to, it's a transformation of heart. I realize I'm in trouble. Who's gonna save me from myself? Jesus Christ. But if you don't realize you need saving, I don't know what you're doing, you're just joining a club, which may explain a lot of our churches. Some under the guise of Southern Baptist, some under Catholic, but we become, or, or whatever else, but we become this club that agrees on God, but doesn't agree on us. And that's why this text is so important. So God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth in wickedness. What about those who don't know there's a God? That's a great next question. I get that question a lot. The number one theological question, doctrinal, not theological, doctrinal question I get is, is it okay for a Christian to be cremated? I, I get that a lot. And in case you're wondering, yes. Well, what if, how will God recreate our bodies if it's, if it's ashes? To which I respond, Duh. I, do, I say that respectfully, but it's way cheaper, and I think it's a good way to go. I want them to burn my ashes, and I want them to be spread over the front of the floor right here. And I want the next pastor to have a big pile that he walks over. What's that pile of ash? That's, that's the previous pastor. I think that would be so cool. Put a little sign in it. But the, you know what the number two question I get in common is... So what about the person, and, I, and it's changed. It used to be when I was growing up, Papua New Guinea. What about that, that, that black person in Papua New Guinea who's never met a white person? That's how, that's how white we think the gospel is, first of all, that question. But I get it, I get it. What about that individual out in the back brush of wherever who's never heard the name Jesus? Are they accountable for their sin? And I'm really glad you asked because Jesus answered that through Paul. They knew the truth about God because he made it obvious to them. Well, how? Well, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities. His eternal power and divine nature is there. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. And our flesh who wants to argue with God, the same flesh that says, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God why he made my hair green. That arrogance says, well, that's not enough. So, first of all, let me say this. Let me address this. There's no one who doesn't see the fruit of God's existence in creation. They may deny it's God, but there's no one who doesn't see it. When you look at the Milky Way, and I'm not talking about the candy bar, when you look at fire ants, it's, I didn't grow up here, so fire ants, I hate them, but they're pretty awesome. I mean, I can't help even now after almost 18 years kicking a fire ant hill and running. <laughs> they go from like zero to 100 billion in about an eighth of a second. You can't look at all of this stuff and not go, that, that's not just chance. That's, it's too... I don't know how any surgeon doesn't look at the intricacies of the heart or the atom that they can't explain to some degree. What keeps it pumping? Well, electric things from the head, I hear Kevin gagging over here on his coat, uh, coffee. (laughs) But you keep going and there's a point at which you go, well, we don't really know what causes that, but it works. So we just repair the things that don't work and we just let God be God. The truth is, there is no such thing as an atheist. There's deniers, but there's no such thing as an atheist. I'll get back to that in a few minutes. But let me be clear on verses 19 and 20. Everybody is accountable because everybody has seen the signs of God's fingers. And actually, in Genesis chapter 1, it tells us us that God put the lights in the sky, the stars, the sun, the moon, as signs. It's almost like they point to Him. Look higher. God is there. This is such an important theology. This is such an important theology. That next week, Zach is going to take the pulpit. I told you that we were going to share the pulpit with this, and I was going to teach the verse by verse stuff, and then eventually, and then then when we get to a section where a doctrine needs to be taught, he would take the pulpit. And so next week, Zach is going to take the pulpit, and he's going to teach you about what we call revelation. How has God revealed himself to mankind? How has he done it? Because the scripture talks all about it. And, and you may be sitting here this morning, and, and actually probably most of you are, and thinking, yeah, but just seeing the seven stars and even knowing there's a creator doesn't make you saved. That's absolutely true. But I want you to know that Jeremiah 29, throughout the Psalms, and Jesus himself in Matthew 7 and over and over said, those who seek me will find me. It is not uncommon for people with new tribes missions, and it's not called that anymore, it's called ethos, I think, and then other missionaries that go into unreached people groups is what they're called. And those people say often, we have been waiting for you to come. We prayed to the creator that he would send you and he sent us a messenger saying you were coming. Welcome. Happens all the time. We have people right now in Iran who are getting visions from heaven where the gospel is presented to them. Well, it didn't happen to me. Doesn't have to happen to you. You have 32 Bibles on your shelf. You have, uh, you have Christian TV that's only 90% heretical. The rest of it's the gospel. You can laugh. I'm just teasing. I'm going to offend everybody today, including myself, so just take a breath. But next week, Zach is going to systematically take us through an understanding of how God has revealed himself to every man, woman, and child ever birthed, because that answers in Scripture. And what we're doing here at Carpenter's Way is we are loading your gun for the lies of the Lucifer. You know, at the end times, and if it is in our lifetime, it tells us that when the Antichrist comes, before the Lord raptures us, if he hadn't taken us out, even the church herself would be deceived. Our job as elders is to make sure you are indeceivable. And so we're going to take the time through this study to do that. And next week, Zach's going to do that unless he he stinks it up, at which time we're going to thank him. Honey, you should see the text he sends me sometimes. (laughs) Come back. Come back, son. Anyway, so so hold your breath, and we'll get back to this next week on this part. Because there's a lot of questions, there's a lot you could wrestle with on this, and he's going to take us through a study of Scripture on that question. But back to our text, Romans 1, 21 through 23. Yes, they knew God. So no matter what Zach teaches us or what I said or what you think about what Zach teaches or what I teach on this, no matter what you think, God says, oh, they knew. And that's part of the problem that I'm going to get into in three weeks. You and I, based upon our wisdom and our knowledge and our study of Scripture and our arrogance, we actually doubt God's Word. That's why we wrestle with Him. You, you are probably, I'm not, I'm not dogging you, I've got the same feelings. But you're probably sitting here going, yeah, but that just seems, that doesn't seem like enough. Well, God says it is. And He's the only one that matters. You see, as, as, as we look... And this pendulum has swung from our grandparents who feared God with capital F-E-A-R to our intimacy with God, the song we sang this morning, which is On Point, I Boldly Approach. In the middle is where truth is. He's still God, even if he's my daddy. And God says they knew God through Paul. But they wouldn't worship him as God. Now, please pay attention to what their sin was. They wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. So he's not saying they wouldn't be saved. He's simply saying they don't even accept him or acknowledge him as God. Some of the other translations use the phrase not worship. I think that's kind of confusing to our English minds, but it isn't even worship. It's just acknowledging that he's God or that he's there. So their sin is, we don't believe that. We just reject it. They wouldn't acknowledge him as God or give him thanks, and and as a result, they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result of not acknowledging him as God or divine or superior or in control, they think up foolish ideas of what God is like. It's not like they reject God. They just make up their own gods. As a result, their mind becomes dark and confused, claiming to be wise. They instead become actually utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people or birds or animals or reptile. So everyone looks up in the sky and says, wow, something bigger than me, put that there. But rather than seeking him out so that they can make amends with him, forget whether until... You don't even have to know by faith. We're talking about people simply acknowledging that there is something more powerful, something sovereign, something you must bow the knee to. And and instead of going and figuring out, okay, he's there. I don't want to tick him off. Who is he? That's what we're talking about. They don't even do that. Instead, they do what the Hebrews did at the base of Mount Sinai when they see fire and smoke on the mountain, when they hear thunder, when they see lightning, they decide, "Hey, hey, Aaron, We're going to give you gold, melt it down into a calf, and we'll worship that as the God who delivered us. You remember that story, right? This isn't new. This is the story of Cain and Abel. They're both worshiping God. Only Cain wanted to do it in the way he wanted to do it. You see, God, ready for this? You can quote me. This is my quote for the week. Put it on Facebook. God is God. You're welcome. We've made him so Buddy, buddy, we forget that. He's God. God is not truthful. He's truth. So when we say, well, that's not my truth, God goes, and? You don't get to decide truth. If you don't believe in gravity and you jump off this stage, you're going to break your leg, um, unless you're Jared. Jared. Uh, Let me go higher. If we put you on a big ladder and jump off, you're going to break your leg. You're going to fall. You're going to hit yourself on the ground. Well, I don't believe in gravity. Gravity doesn't care. You can say you don't believe in God. I'm not going to say God doesn't care. I'm going to say that there's ramifications of that because he's gravity. He is. Whether you like him or not. Whether we, I mean, the truth is what we're talking about here is a group of people who acknowledge there is something bigger than us, but instead of actually finding out who he is through self-revelation that Zach's going to teach us about next week, they decide to make crap up. They make little calves out of gold or false gods. I, I put something on Facebook about six years ago that offended a few people, but it really was funny. We were in a store and there was all these Buddhas off half price. If you take your God and you sell it at half price, what kind of God are you worshiping? If you can't even get rid of it. Look, I'm not, I know you're laughing, but that's because it's so silly and we see it every day and we don't think about it. For real, you guys, if you don't believe in the God of the Bible, I respect that. I'm not even trying to talk you into believing him. I'm simply saying that there is a God, you've got to figure out who he is because you've got to bow to that God. Whether he's good or bad, kind or evil, uh, arbitrary or gracious, you've got to figure out who he is because you will stand before him and not for very long. And that's what he's talking about here. Instead of doing that, they just go, well, there's a God and let's just make a calf and call him God. And their mind becomes dark and confused. And it actually says... And I'm going to put it in how I'm going to have, when I translate the Bible, which I'll never do, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get to the point, Paul's wordy, I'm going to say sin makes you stupid. Because the more you sin, the more you want to sin to cover up your previous sin. Ask a drug addict, it doesn't stay where it started. It was described a few years ago, and and I've stolen it, and I use it. I don't remember who it was. But sin, sin, or feeding your flesh. You know, sin is such a religious word now. Feeding your flesh instead of seeking God and figuring out what he wants and who he is. Feeding your flesh and living for self-pleasure, whatever that looks like for you. Living for self-pleasure From the outside, it's like a a prison cell. From the outside, the door is wide open and it looks good and there's a couch in there and there's three meals a day. And you're like, hey, I kind of like this. And you step in and you go, I probably shouldn't be in this prison cell. But dang, it's pretty nice in here. And then you're playing around and you find it and then all of a sudden you turn around and that door is shut and you are locked in. And so in order to cover up for the fact that you are now in prison to that sin, you do more sin and deeper sin. You know, a little... Playboy turns into a bigger problem. Even the world recognizes gateway drugs. They're called gateway drugs, and everybody wants to deny they exist, I guess, those who want to use them, because claiming to be wise, they get foolish. You know what we need to do? Everybody, before they get a license to use weed just for recreational purposes, everybody should have to work six months in a rehab center. If it's not a problem, you can get out and smoke all you want. But the truth is, it's destructive and we all know it. And that's how sin is. You keep having to go deeper. You keep having to please more. You have to find new ways of pleasing yourself. And you know that because, family, you've done it. I know you don't want to admit it. I know we don't want to. I can give a microphone out and we can all tell how we did it. Most of us would say, I really haven't done that. Liar! It's just how it works. And God's explaining it here. All right, verse 24. So what does God do with his anger against these people who do not recognize him, his sovereignty, his authority? Even if they don't know his name, he abandons them. That that may not be scary to you because of the way we think theologically about God today, but that should scare the doo-doo out of every one of us you do not want to be abandoned by God. We think of fire in hell. Scripture says that the worst part of hell is the absence of God. You know, but the Bible says that God causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the wicked alike. There are things that if you are an unsaved person, there are things that God has done for you that you don't even recognize. You just think it's science. That's God. He has healed you from the diseases you've had. He has provided for you, giving you more time to acknowledge him. But if you continue down the path of rejected, he stands back and he lets people do the shameful things their heart desired. As a result, you begin to do vile and degrading things with your bodies. Romans 1.22 explains it as claiming to be wise. They became an utter fool. Listen to Jesus explain this very thing from John chapter 3, his judgment. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. Remember I said at the beginning that God is not angry at wicked people. He is angry at wicked people that reject him. The truth is, we could be adjectively described as wicked people. Every one of us have turned our back on God. Every one of us has taken adva- have taken advantage of his sovereignty and his mercy. Every one of us is declared holy by God's grace and his mercy. Every one of us will stand before him and accept, well done thou good and faithful servant. And we're all, when we see him, gonna go, who are you talking to? Every one of us. But he's not mad at you. Your sin has been forgiven. He is angry at those who say, I don't want your forgiveness. I don't want you. In fact, I'm gonna make something up about you. I'm gonna attribute the things that you did to something else, like a golden calf. And you wanna know what it looks like to be dumb, And, and if you don't know this story, just bear with me a second. But those of you who have studied that story, This description is clearly seen. When Moses comes down the mountain, God tells Moses, what are your people doing? They're all worshiping a false god. Moses comes, God sends Moses back down the mountain. He gets down the mountain. He goes to Aaron, who's holding this calf. And he said, what are you doing? He goes, I don't know. They gave me their gold. I threw it in the fire, and out came a calf. To which Moses went, oh, that makes sense. I mean, that's what, read the story. His explanation is, I don't know. It just came out. Does anybody believe that? That's what it looks like to be stupid. That's what it looks like for God to go, okay. Men and women, have you ever seen that in your life? You know, sometimes we go, God is going to judge them. Well, aren't you glad he doesn't judge us that way? Instead, he steps back. And Jesus explains this that the judgment, verse 19 of John chapter 3, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved darkness more than light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others will see that they are doing what God wants. Listen to me. You may hate what the world does. Here we go. Christians, this is where it gets relevant for us. You you may hate what the world does, from homosexuality to adultery to Hollywood to leftist thinking that you think is evil to killing unborn babies. You may hate that, but I want to be clear. That is the fruit of the problem. You're mad at the wrong thing. That's like me getting some sort of skin disease, skin cancer that causes me to be distracting by having lesions on my face while I preach. Ew, I just hate those lesions. You wouldn't do that. You would say, those lesions, they're sad, That's not the problem. The problem is Mark has cancer on the inside. Are you following me? But instead, the church is mad at their behavior, which is really the fruit of their sinfulness. We shouldn't be mad at the gay agenda. We should be heartbroken over the fact that they feel the need to have a gay agenda. To the point today is, they want us to approve of their lifestyle. By the way, it isn't just accept their lifestyle. It's approve. And soon it will be affirming their lifestyle, and actually involved in it and encouraging it. We'll never go there. Well, what does the future look like for us? Shame? Persecution? Being called haters? Well, that's already happening. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. See? Pretty relevant, isn't it? It's where we live. All right, back to Romans 1. Here we go. Practically in real time. What does it look like? So God abandoned them to do whatever their shameful hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. What are examples of this abandonment? Of these shameful desires, women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. What's the penalty they deserve for the rejection of God? Here it goes. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things they should never do. Uh, actually the Greek says, turn them over. So just so you are clear here, if we're studying God's Word and not our opinion or niceties, it actually says in the Greek that God turns them over to a dark thinking. In other words, He picks them up and puts them here. That is God's wrath. What you're seeing in the news today is the wrath of God. God's wrath isn't fire from heaven. That's what comes next, right? That's hell. That's hell. This is the pre-wrath wrath. wrath. The pre-wrath wrath, wrath, I'll get there in a moment. What verse am I? on? 28. I'm rounding third here. Where am I? Since they thought it foolish to... Oh, they are backstabbers, haters... I'll just read it off the screen. Haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand they break their promises, are heartless, and they have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them. Does that sound like today? I mean, but we get frustrated at what they're doing, and this text is significant to us because it tells us why they're doing it. You see, the problem isn't homosexuality or disobedience to parents, or Disney endorsing that, or school systems or CRT, those aren't the problems. Those are the result of the problem. And the problem is they never want to know God. That's the problem. And I want to say that this text, this passage has been badly referred to so often. It's not about homosexuality any more than it's about rebellious children or gossips. It's about God's wrath being poured out on people who refuse to bow to Him as the Creator, of God, giving him the worship and respect and honor He demands. Their actions are, in fact, God's judgments on them. They stands back and said, "If you want to go down this route, I'm going to let you." And at some point, He actually picks them up and puts them in the fire of their self-destruction. Well, I don't believe God's like that. That's OK. That's OK. Then you're doing the very thing it's talking about. You see, we're not at war with the world. We're not at war with the world. We're here to tell about the good news. And what's the good news? God's got a better day. You want to know modern day examples of this? Last night, somebody goes into Pizza Hut in our town on Timberland, of all the places you can rob, and shoot somebody and gets no money. In case you're wondering, that isn't just a crime. That's a dumb crime. What, you don't agree with me? That Pizza Hut? I've eaten there a hundred times with you. It's a lousy pizza hut. There's better places in town to rob in the middle of the night. It's just dumb. Why that pizza hut? Because you're dumb. Sin makes you stupid. How about other examples? How about men claiming to be women and women claiming to be men? If you walk in here today and you say, I'm a rock, and I laugh with you, and you don't laugh, and you say, no, really, I'm a rock. And I go, (laughs) this joke is not really funny. What what are you saying? I'm a rock. I'm I'm a rock. I'm a rock. I'm a rock. At some point, I'm going to call Jack over to watch you while I get the uh, EMTs to come pick you up because you're not a rock. You're not a rabbit. You're not a baby. And if you have certain genetic... I know some of your kids in here, and I always get told I'm going to make you raise my kids if you keep talking like you do. If you have certain genetic traits on your physical nature, you are either a man or a woman. Do we need to put pictures outside of bathrooms to explain that? It is insanity. That's what this text looks like. How about it also? You know what another example is? The mutilation of a child's body because that little boy wants to play with dolls and therefore parents want to reconstruct his created body that God made to call him a girl. That is insanity and it's evil. The inability to say if someone's a boy or girl. Making being a man who protects in private provides for his family something evil making your race something evil. And some of you might be thinking, well, it's payback. Payback doesn't fix anything. It is such a crazy time in history where men who built these amazing cities and these amazing machinery over the past 200 years are being costigated because they want to make more stuff. You know what's really stupid? All right, remember, I'm conservative by nature, so those of you who are not, please filter. But it makes no sense to me that we attack owners of businesses and expect them to hire more people because we're mad at them. We're killing ourselves. You realize that's foolishness. That's depravity. Rejecting God, how about this one? Rejecting God while believing aliens are probably going to infiltrate this planet. You can laugh. Because it's depraved thinking. It's tragic. It's foolishness. How about thinking that the resolution to a crime is to simply say that that's not a crime? You know what? We have reduced the jail population over the last year. Good for you. How'd you do it? Oh, we just stopped arresting people. Well, we can solve that problem right now. Don't arrest anybody. Open the doors, let them out. Then you can celebrate that there's literally zero people in prison in our country. Oh, we're not that stupid. Don't be stupid. That's foolishness. How about this one? rather than helping people with self-destructive addictions overcome them, actually providing free of charge, feeding their addiction, the very thing that's killing them. How about calling love hate because someone wants to help a person meet their creator personally and find their creative purpose instead of letting them continue to live down a self-destructive lifestyle? How about saying it's loving, not to warn people of the coming self-destruction of their lifestyle and explaining what God requires of them. That's the church, by the way, in case you're not clear on this. We, we, you are not helping anybody if you let them continue down the path of sin. They just go to hell smiling at you. Our job is to present the good news, and the good news is you don't have to live like anything other than God created you to live. We lie to our kids all the time. How about telling a senior in high school you can be anything you want when you know that they can't be anything they want? I will never be the quarterback. Well, I might be for the Dallas Cowboys. I will never be the quarterback. I Sorry. I will never be a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. That is not very nice. I just want you to know I'm kind of sensitive about that. I may look good in a Dallas Cowboy outfit, cheerleader outfit, okay? Why are you laughing? I will never be that. And yet, we feel good about telling kids, you can be anything you want, dream big. At what, some point, we've got to go, okay, I want to fly to Pluto, and I want to build a house there. You could do that. Well, we don't mean that. Then say what you mean. How about, how, I, I only have a couple more. How about calling anything that looks like a warning, but infringes on a person's right to self-destructive life choices, we call it judgmental. And it's crept into the church. We're like, I don't mean to judge. Why not? That's a sign of love. If we do it in love, if we have a relationship with each other, if I was beating Julie every day, and it's not that way. She beats me. But if I were beating Julie and you saw it, how loving is it to go? I'm not getting involved in their marriage. First of all, that's not biblical. It's not godly. And it's not how we live. But that's what the world does. Well, there are like four things that they won't let you do. Have sex with children, abuse your spouse if it's man to woman. Women to man isn't so bad. It's weird. All I'm trying to say is the things that are making you crazy about the world, my brothers and sisters, children of God, is because they have rejected God. So instead of being angry with them, what the world is finding is it's not working, and now they're eating each other, right? You're not gay enough. You're not feminine enough. You're not worshiping nature enough. They're eating each other alive. This is when we slide in and say, I got to tell you something, my friend. Dan, James, Larry, John, there's only one man that won't let you down and his name is Jesus. It doesn't matter if he's gay. Jesus loves gay people. What matters is not whether you've committed adultery eight times, been married six times, or you are whatever. The problem with people around us is not what they do, it is why they do it, and that is they have rejected God, and we have to get back to God. And this explains the world and the situation it's in. And every one of us have an axe to grind, and every one of us have the temptation, oh man, you know, if you have a Facebook account, I know most of us do, you just... Have you ever given in and tried to argue your point that makes total sense to you and you put it in there and then everybody attacks you and you go, why did I do that? That's the world we're living in. What we have to understand though is that our job is to tell them the good news because without the good news, you're not gonna solve the moral crisis, the mental crisis we are living in today. Which is why we're involved with Seasons of Hope. Which is why we're involved with God Tell. Which is why we're involved with Love, Inc., which is why we need to be part of the community with the Mosaic Center, which is why you need to get to know your neighbors, no matter what their sexual orientation is. Not because you're going to change their behavior, but because you are going to change their belief, which in turn, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will change their behavior. Last night, we celebrated Nina, and I didn't ask you permission, sweetheart, but I'm going to use you anyway. Nina's a different woman than a year ago. And that's not because her counseling was awesome, which it was, but it's because that girl said, I'm going to follow Jesus whatever that means she's back with her kids and we are proud of you our church is better with you in it now i want to explain their clapping for a second because i want to be clear that's to say we love you and we're proud of you but i want you to know we're really proud of god and his work in your life it spurs us on so don't get the big head because then he's going to have to pop it right you know what i'm saying right I mean, I look around at us, we're good-looking. Well, most of you are good-looking people. And and the truth is that we're not good-looking. That doesn't matter. What matters is God. God, in the deepest places of our heart, He loves people like David. He's mad at people like self-religious jerks that are not pointing people to Him. And that's why we need to be saved. That's why He started the book with this because he wanted us to know what the problem is. The problem isn't they don't accept your religion or they don't like you or they're not nice. The problem is the reason those things are true is because they're rejecting God. And so, brothers and sisters, you can now stop being angry. It's okay. You can stop being angry because they're mad at our dad, not at us. And even if they are mad at us, it doesn't matter. All we need to do is keep preaching the good news. Even you can be saved. I don't want to be saved by your God. Okay. Next verse. And then you pray. Oh, it's 1108. Father, thank you for this time in your word. I'm sorry I went long. Amen. Okay. Security here. Family Con there. Sign up for digital stuff there. Go to Bible study and tell them that I was teaching the word and mind your own business.